Welcome to Create Your Own Light, where we harness our past, we embrace our future, and learn to conquer the roadblocks along the way together. I'm your host, Travis Howes. Let's get on with it. This episode is brought to you by YourWelder.com. YourWelder.com is an online directory of mobile welders. Whether at your home or at your industrial processing plant, we come to you. Our community of mobile welders can repair anything from the neighbor's mailbox that you just backed into or the cat bulldozer sitting on your job site. YourWelder.com is a directory of highly skilled professionals willing to help you on your job site on your timetable. YourWelder.com screens all of their welders using tools like photos from social media apps such as Instagram, Parler, and Facebook, even face-to-face meetups. YourWelder.com was built by actual industry welding experts who actually perform this type of work on a daily basis. And here's the best part. They're veteran-owned and operated. So go check them out at YourWelder.com. And also feel free to check them out on social media where I'll include their links in the show notes. Let me tell you all about the greatest woman that I never had the pleasure of meeting in person. Her name was Alicia Monahan. She was 41 years old. She was a firefighter in Chesterfield, Virginia. And Alicia and I connected on social media years ago. Uh, Alicia was drawn to whatever it was I was doing at the time. And she started following me and started following my journey and introduced herself and told me all about what she does and what she was passionate about. And I soon developed a relationship with Alicia from afar and being that we were both firefighters and kindred spirits, it was just a natural, um, friendship. It was easy. It, it was familiar. She was extremely supportive of who I was as a, as a human being and very appreciative of what I was, what I was doing at the time in my life, which was post-traumatic purpose and, and trying to start this, this movement of healing individuals and myself included. Alicia was probably one of the badass, most badass chicks I'd ever met or ever encountered in my life. She was, she skydived, she flew planes. She was, um, she trained search and rescue dogs. She did swift water rescue and she was extremely passionate about swift water rescue and being on the river and she was passionate about her animals and she was a mother of two teenage boys and you could watch her flourish online you know throughout throughout her life and you know following her for several years and she was a very involved human being and she was involved in other people she invested in other people and I was teaching post-traumatic purpose in Prince William County, Virginia, a few months ago, back in March. And Alicia texts me and she says, Hey, I'm going to try to make it up there tomorrow. Save me a seat. And I remember, I remember when I was in class, I was teaching and, uh, Alicia had red hair and I was on, I was in class. I was looking for, her. I didn't see her. And, uh, cause I'd yet to meet her in person and I was on stage. I was teaching this class and the doors open to the facility. I was about an hour into the class and in walks a girl with red hair. Now I had this, the spotlights were on me. It was dark in the room. And I remember thinking that's Alicia. She's in the back. She's here. Good. I'm, I'm excited to meet her. And then I, after my first break, I stopped and I went to look for her and 
I walked up to this lady, but it wasn't Alicia. I, I, I noticed really quickly that it wasn't her. So I was a little bit bummed out. And I taught the rest of the course, and Alicia never showed up. I was bummed out, nevertheless, because, like I say, she had been a big supporter of mine. She she used to promote my book for me, and, and she had sent me, um, sent a lot of people to me as far as to this podcast. And uh, Kenny, my boy Kenny, he's one of them, the one that... I always, you know, cut up with on Instagram and stuff. You may, you guys may be familiar. So, um, anyway, she, she, she texts me later that day and said, I can't make, I couldn't make it out for, you know, whatever reason. Well, I'll be honest with you. I was kind of pissed because I'm, I'm a person where, you know, if you tell me you're going to do something, do it. And, uh, so I was just kind of short and I was like, okay, you know, whatever. And then some time went by and, she would text again, check in and on me. Um, I remember she said, Hey, where's your farm? And, uh, I told her and she goes, is there a landing strip near there? And I go, actually, yeah, there's a few of them. They're in the middle of some fucking cornfields. And she, she told me, she's like, I, I'm thinking about flying my plane down there or flying, fly, flying a plane down there and coming to visit. And, uh, she was, she, she saw that I had a new dog and she wanted to help me train the dog and all that. She just loved helping people, man. I can't, you know, and, and I'm, I'm still at a loss for words. I don't know if you can tell this morning. I'm going to tell you what happened here in a second. So Friday, Friday, um, June the 24th, I'm driving with my family because I have a um, engagement out of town in the upstate of South Carolina. And my phone goes off. And it was, uh, I looked down and it was Alicia. And it was a text message and it was a video message. And I was like, what the hell is this? And I was driving so I couldn't, I couldn't play it. Well, I ended up pulling over to gas station because all my girls had to use the restroom. And when they ran inside to go pee, I uh, I pulled up in the in the spot and I watched this video. And what it was was it was Alicia. She was driving down the road on Interstate 95, and she told me she goes, "Hey, it's been a while since I've caught up with you. I uh, I'm I'm driving and I'm actually in your neck of the woods in South Carolina near the Georgia border. Don't know exactly where you live, but she goes, um, I was listening to your podcast." And I had to go, she, she was listening to some of the earlier ones when I was asking for recommendations. And then she started spouting off all these cool recommendations. And she's like, look, and I know this person and this person and this person, if you're still looking for guests, I know some very resilient people. And Alicia was involved with helping, uh, helping people race across country, all kinds of crazy shit, man, this girl was into. And I watched this video and it just made me smile because she, um, Alicia was, she was proud to be my friend, even though we had never met. And we, we started texting after that. And I was like, I'll call you. I'll call you later. Um, and she says, no worries. Um, she told me she was proud of me. And that, that sticks with me because I don't, um, there's not a lot of people in my life that have actually said something like that and really meant, meant it. You know what I mean? Like it's, um, you can tell when somebody's being serious when they're not, and she was proud to be aligned with me. And I was equally as proud to be aligned with her. And I wanted to call her, but I couldn't because I had my kids in the car and it was loud. And I don't ever, and my, my wife can attest to this when they're in the car, I hate talking on the phone. So I always wait till they get out the, the car. And that night I go to sleep and wake up Saturday morning. I go do my event Saturday. I'm up in uh, Abbeville County rural fire district in upstate of South Carolina. 
We're at Erskine College in this beautiful um, auditorium teaching post-traumatic purpose and everything's going great. And we leave that day and I go uh, go to another farm and show my kids uh, some more horses at a farm and just, you know, just doing normal shit. And then I get back and we're having dinner that night and everybody's sitting around the table at my wife's parents' house. And then I get a call and it's my buddy, uh, it's my buddy Kenny. And I always break Kenny's balls when I answer the phone. Always. I mean, every single time I say something stupid. Or if he messages me on Instagram, I'll say something stupid. This time was different, though. I saw him calling, and I thought about not answering it. And then I was like, no, something tells me I got I to gotta grab this call. And I picked it up. And then when I picked it up, I could hear in Kenny's voice immediately. He goes, dude, he goes, I don't know how to tell you. I'm just going to tell you before you, you see it on online. Alicia Alicia died today. She she was killed um, training on the Nantahala River during a swift water rescue class. And my mouth just dropped and it's, you know, I'm, I'm, for, I'm very familiar with, with loss. I'm extremely familiar with that. And I don't care how familiar you get. It's still every single time it's a gut punch. And I remember immediately feeling sorrow for Alicia and her family, but I immediately had regret and I, I, I ended up hanging up with Kenny. I couldn't finish my dinner and I walked outside and I sat in the van because it was hot as shit outside. And my van has um, really dark tinted windows. And I needed to be alone for a second. And I just went outside. I started the van, turned on the air conditioner, and I, and I cried. And I've just, I remember thinking, I wish I would have called her. I wish I wouldn't have been so stubborn and waited for the perfect moment to have that conversation. And it's like, you know, that last episode that I recorded um, the perfect time or whatever it was labeled. It was talking about the timing of things. There's never a perfect time for anything. You have to make the time to do things in life. And I didn't make the time to call her. And she was right there in my neck of the woods and where I grew up between exit five and exit eight off of interstate 95 in South Carolina. And I remember feeling so proud. And I told her, I said, beep the horn when you go through there. Cause you're right. You're right near my, my, my place. And, um, I immediately regretted not taking, not calling her because I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast, but I certainly talk about it in my book. One of the other big regrets I have in my life is when I didn't take my buddy Lewis Mulkey's last phone call that he ever made was to me. And it was just before that they, they went in route to the sofa superstore fire June 18th, 2007. And he, he died in that fire that night, but he called me right before they were dispatched to it. And he called me to talk shit to me and to bust my balls about some things. And I looked at the phone and I said, ah, you know what? I'll get back to him. And not only did I just forward it, the voicemail that he left, I listened to it a few minutes later and I deleted the voicemail. See, my whole life I've always been about deleting everything. And it's not to cover anything up. What I was taught in the Marine Corps is leave no trace of your existence, right? And we in the Marine Corps, when we would go out, we would pack it out. Or excuse me, you pack it in, you pack it out. That's just how it goes. You pack it in, you pack it out. And when Alicia sent me that video and the text messages afterwards, I just deleted it like I always do. I've been doing that for 20-something years. It's, I, don't, I don't keep things around like that. I don't keep emails. I mean, no matter, unless they're extremely significant, if like it's something that you have to save for three or four years, then I'll save it. 
in a file, but that's it. You know, it's like, I don't, I'm not a guy. I don't have icons on my phone. I don't have unread emails, unread voicemails. That's because I look at them. I handle business and I fucking move on. And that's, I'm kicking myself in the ass. I had a video of this girl sharing something with me that I'll never be able to have again. And it just upsets me. And when I was thinking about it today, I was at the gym and I was thinking about what a, what a beautiful soul and what a light she was to the universe. It made me start thinking, why do all these motherfuckers that don't add anything to society get to live forever and they get to take and take and take and take. And then the, the hatred in me started coming out, man. And I started thinking about people that I know that are like that. And I'm just, it's making my fucking blood boil and my skin crawl. And I'm like, this motherfucking non-contributing son of a bitch, that motherfucking non-contributing person. And then you take Alicia who all she did was contribute to society. Alicia, everybody that she came into contact, she was a fucking asset to everybody she made contact with in her life. Everybody. She taught people how to save lives. It, it's a whole different ballgame when you just go out and save lives. It's another ballgame when you save lives and you teach other people how to save fucking lives. And that's what she died doing. I'm not going to get run this thing into the ground in sorrow, but I am going to say this. How fortunate am I? How fortunate are every one of the people that Alicia ever um, made contact with how fortunate are those people for knowing her for whether they knew her personally or knew her from afar like I did isn't it a blessing to be able to have people like that come into your life and that's like now today after the other day I was upset and I didn't sleep well that night and now today I, I sit here with a smile on my face because I'm like you know what she came into my life and I'm glad and I and, I, and I'm proud of that and I'm happy that she did and I think about all of the people that I get to encounter and what blessings many of them are just to even be in their presence, just to meet them. And then I think about people that live a life that never get to be around positive people. And it makes me feel sorry for them. And I sit back and I, and I started getting in some deep thought today and I go, you know, there's people out there who have never really been around a positive person in their life. They've never really been exposed to a positive role model in their life. And that's why they're so negative. And that's why they're mad at the world. And that's why everything they touch is turns to shit. And that's why everything that uh, they, they begin to, they become takers and they take, 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 take because they've never witnessed contribution ever. And I know a ton of people like that. And it makes sense now. It's because they've never been exposed to people like Alicia. So having said that, I'm going to keep pressing. And I'm going to be thankful for knowing that woman. And I'm regretful that we never got to make our, our paths cross. But maybe it was meant to be that way. You know, and, and we got to take the hand that we're dealt and make the most of it. So what we do is we take a little piece of Alicia, put it in our heart and press forward and do the right things in life to the greatest woman I never met Alicia Monahan. Thank you. You know, I was going to say this too. You know why our, I, I, I shouldn't have checked off of that real quick. You know why our, our lives never, our, our paths never crossed in real life. That's because life got in the way. And I was thinking about this this morning. 
when your life gets in the way, you're not in control of your life. How many people or experiences or adventures have slipped out of your life because your life got in the way? That tells me right there, and I'm guilty of it too. That tells me right now, right there, we're not in control of our life. We let relationships with people fade away. We let wonderful moments fade away in life because our life gets in the way. So our life is dictating our future. It's, it's dictating our relationships and our adventures in life. So therefore, if you're letting that control all of that, are you really in control of your life? And that's what I regret the most about, you know, not being able to cross paths with Alicia. I regret not making the time because she asked me to lunch. I never forget this. She asked me to lunch the following day after my class. And I really at the time didn't have the time because I had another class to teach that day. But I did have the time if I would have just made the fucking time. You see what I'm getting at? I chose to go back and use that time where I could have met Alicia to catch up on some rest, to catch up on some notes, to catch up on some thoughts, to catch up on some business stuff. All of those things that I could have done later. I had a moment in time where I could have met this woman and sat down and shared a moment with her. But I didn't because I let my life control the situation. I let my life get in the way and my life dictated that I would never get to meet her. And that's my fault. I know, I know her passing is just, is fresh and, and we you know we, we all lose people we care about those times, those things happen. And I'm, I'm adamant about this. Like this is one of the things I'm really adamant about. I'm adamant about never letting people die. And the way that we do that is we keep them alive by talking about them. We keep them alive by honoring them. We keep them alive by thinking about them because people don't really die until they're forgotten. And that is very true. You know, when I drive by graveyards and I see headstones out there and you see some that don't have flowers on them, that's because nobody's coming by to check on them. Now that doesn't mean they're necessarily forgotten about, but when you go out into a graveyard and you look at the older, older headstones, and I mean the old ones, and you look at the date and you start doing the math and you think, well, this person probably doesn't have any um, sons or daughters or wife or husband around at this point in time because too much time has passed by. And then you start thinking, now they're forgotten. Because my grandfather, I promise you, my two grandfathers that are dead, my mom and dad are still alive, so they'll think about them. But when they're gone, I'm the last one. It's me. I know my sister doesn't sit around and reflect on my grandfathers the way that I do because, you know, I'm not knocking my sister, but my grandfathers, they were war veterans. You know, we have, um, I, I, we have a, a bond through the military and I try to honor them the best way that I can. I have their shit or their medals there. I say their shit, but you know what I mean? Like their medals, their flags, I have all of their stuff in my house on the wall. My sister doesn't have that stuff. Well, let's say my sister does think about him, but one day when she passes and I'm the last one, what happens when I pass? My kids aren't going to think about my grandfathers. You see what I'm getting at? They're gone. 
they're just gone. So I try to keep them alive as long as possible. I try to honor them the best way that I can. I try to live a live a good life to honor them and to, you know, just to be a damn good human being. And that's going to happen with Alicia too. She just goes right in. She goes right into that file with everybody else, that, that, that heart file that we carry of all the people that we've lost along the way. And every, every beat that you get on this earth out of that heart, a piece of them beats with it. So let's get into some other stuff. I want to talk about uh, what I experienced this weekend when I was in Abbeville, South Carolina, and when I was on the Erskine College campus, and I was teaching post-traumatic purpose in this auditorium full of first responders from around the the uh, what we call the upstate of South Carolina. And um, I was in there, and I was teaching. And afterwards, after I teach this four-hour course, I always open it up to questions. And that's my one of my favorite parts of the course is because a lot of times we get a lot of questions. A lot of times we get very few questions because some people are, are nervous to ask. Well, this group wasn't nervous. They started firing off questions. We were there for a long time answering questions. And then one guy raises his hand and he goes, I don't so much have a question as I do a comment, a statement. And I was like, oh shit, what, what's going on here? And he raises his hand and he says, you know, something you said really, really hit home for me. And I was like, okay, what is that? And he said, when you started talking about when you were going through your bad things, the way that you talked to your wife and the way that you talked to your daughter and how you looked back on life and realized that, or you look back at that and you realized would I let another man ever talk to my wife or talk to my daughters that way. And the answer was no. He goes, that hit me hard. And the dude starts crying in this middle of this auditorium with people. And he said, cause I do that. And he said, um, I get so mad at them. He goes over the littlest things. He said, man, it'll be something that doesn't really, it's not a big deal. He goes, but I'll jump out of my chair. I'll slam my drink down. I'll cuss my kids all the way to their room and make them shut the door. And then I'll look at my wife and I'll cuss her out too, making it her problem. And then I'm just on edge for a day or two after that. And I look at him and I'm nodding because I get it, man. I, I'm hundred percent been there. My whole family has been there. I promise you we're not there anymore, but we were there and you could tell this brother was feeling that and he was crying and I looked at him and I said, well, let me tell you something, dude. I said, you know what you just did? And he said, what? And I go, you just took the hardest step that there is to healing and to making that situation right in your own house. I said, you just did the hardest thing. I said, you came in here. And you put your bullshit to the side. You took your coat, your suit of armor off. And you admitted fault in front of a room full of strangers. You admitted wrongdoing in front of a room full of strangers. Do you know how few people in the world can actually do that? Do you know how many, if you took, if you took 10 of your friends and put them in front of one another and, and told them to admit fault in something, I guarantee you most of them would have a hard time doing that because we don't really do well when we have to turn the finger inward. We do great at pointing that finger outward, but we suck at pointing it inward. And the guy asked me, he's like, well, where do I go from here? And I go, that's up to you, my man. I said, where you go from here is all up to you because now as a man, you have recognized and admitted this problem. You can't hide from it anymore. You can't use the mask of an excuse anymore. You can't blame anybody anymore after this day. 
the next time this happens, it's all on your shoulders to do the right thing. And you know what that is. And I said, how you handle that situation is going to be up to you. I said, I know what I used to do. When I realized, when I finally owned and admitted that this is my fault, when those things would happen, I would have to breathe. I would have to separate myself from that situation. But what I would do before that is I communicated with everybody. So there, so nobody, everybody understood exactly what I was going through. I would look at my wife and say, look, when this happens, if I walk off, don't antagonize me. Give me that space because I need it because I'm going to explode. And I don't want to say something I'm going to regret. And I don't want to do something I'm going to regret. I don't want my kids to see something that I say or do. And I said, so when they do something to set me off, I'm not going to make it their problem. I'm not going to make it your problem. I'm going to harness that shit. I'm going to walk outside, but make sure nobody follows me. And I don't need you to be pulled like to confront me because I did say this out loud. I said, look, we all know we have spouses. I'm not saying this is a woman, woman issue. I'm saying spouses because there may be women out there who are married to a man that does this. When we do walk off from a situation and try to deescalate it by walking off, the first thing a confrontational spouse will do is follow you and be, and say some stupid, like, well, there you go. Avoiding the problem, walking off again, bye, go back, goodbye. Cause you got to run from your problems. I've been there. I've been there. I'm telling you right now. And unless you communicate that with your spouse, a lot of times that's how they're going to behave. And when they behave that way, all that's doing is twisting that knife and pushing that button just a little harder. So you got to sit down and you got to be able to communicate with your spouse and your family. And you got to talk about these issues and what it does to you and why it does this to you. You don't have to have the answers. You may not fully understand it, just yet. It takes time, dude. I'm still, I'm still understanding this stuff. I'm still learning about it, but that's the beauty of it. I'm so far removed from that impulsive, that impulsive guy that would just jump up and yell a bunch of cuss words and slam some doors. And I'm proud of that. And I know it's possible. I know if you're going through that, I know you can get past that, but it takes work. It's no different than fitness. People don't just get in shape by waking the fuck up. They get in shape by training their bodies. And this is no different, except this is your mind. You have to train your mind for these events. How do you think military emergency service personnel go into these scary ass situations day in and day out? Yeah, experience helps. But in the beginning, it's a mind thing. You have to train your mind to do what you believe is right. Fall back on your training and apply it. And that's all this is, is applying skills necessary to thrive in shitty predicaments. That's all it is. I love what I do. I absolutely love what I do. A guy walks in the other day and he's wearing his hat that says Fort Bragg Fire Rescue. And I'm sitting there. I'm not the smartest guy on earth. But I know Fort Bragg's in North Carolina and we're in South Carolina and we're not close to Fort Bragg. And he comes over and he introduces himself and his name's Jimmy. And he's, he has my book in his hand and I said, can I sign that for you? He goes, man, I'd love for you to sign it. And I go, 
are you just wearing a Fort Bragg hat or are you from Fort Bragg? And he goes, no, man, I'm from Fort Bragg. And I go, you came all the way here from Fort Bragg. He goes, yeah. And I said, how far is that? He said, five hours. I go, you just drove five hours. He goes, well, I came yesterday and I got a hotel. He goes, because I wanted to hear you speak. Do you know how humbling that is? Can I, can I tell y'all real quick how humbling and how honored it was for me to meet him? He would tell you the other, it's the other way around, but it's not, it's not at all. Like I'm just a dude, but when somebody comes from five hours, they put time aside out of their personal life and out of their family's life and out of their budget to spend money on gas, food, a fucking hotel and their time. That's something that they can't get back their time to come hear what I have to say. That's moving, man. It's, it's, it's very moving. And I want, I want people to understand that I don't take that lightly. That that's an extreme honor for me to meet somebody like that. So I'm extremely appreciative for that, but that's what makes me realize that what I'm doing is the right thing. And I know in my heart, it's the right thing. Anyway, that just validates it sometimes when those things happen. That's not the first time that's happened. It's just happened. And I felt like bringing it up, but it's, um, it, it, you know, you, you got that, that you always hear those people say, man, if it can just reach one person, if it can just, you never know the power of what the fuck you're saying. You do, you have no idea how powerful your story can be. And that's why I tell people all the time from that stage. And if you were in this show in Abbeville, Jimmy, if you're listening, you can, you can back this up because you'll remember me talking about this. Every single person in that audience, every person on the other end of this microphone, you have a story. You may not think it's important. You may not think it's resourceful, but it is. There is somebody out there who would benefit from listening to your story. I'm not Travis Howells. I'm not trying to sit here and make this where I'm the only guy out here doing this and I want to take full advantage and try to do every tour date that I can possibly do and hopefully nobody else will start doing what I want. I want more fucking people to do what I do because there's a huge limitless audience out there for people that we can help. And I want to be able to use what has happened to me so other people that that has happened to They can find the good in it and hopefully turn some of their stuff around too. I want to be an asset to people like my girl Alicia was. I don't want to, I don't want to be a taker and all of us have the ability to become an asset to somebody else. I tell people all the time. They're like, well, how, if we don't have resources, how can we get resources at our departments? And I'm like, you are the fucking resource. Every single one of you are the resource for somebody else. You go back to that kitchen table, you go back to that squad room, you go back to your family dining room and you sit there and you tell your story and you talk about things that are uncomfortable and you let people in. We have a thing in the first responder world where, and the military, where we have a hard time having loving feelings for those that are close to us. I talk about this in my course, Post Traumatic Purpose, and I talk about the reason we have this numbness towards people that are close to us is because our minds have been trained that way and we don't even know it. 
We don't even we don't even realize it. It took me a long time to understand this. What it is is it's, it's a defense mechanism. It's a way for us to build up walls and put distance between things that we love. So when those things are ripped away from us, it doesn't hurt as badly. It's not that we do it on purpose. It's not that we put up walls because it's like, I want to do this just so I can make everybody else feel bad and numb and shit like that. We do it subconsciously because we're so accustomed to seeing bad things. And we know those bad things are coming for our people. And when those bad things do happen, we're prepared for it to an extent. And it doesn't hurt as badly because we didn't allow ourselves to get so close. So we get close enough to stay just far enough away. I have a couple of weeks off, man. And then uh, I'm out here at the farm and I'm dropping trees and cutting trees down. And yesterday it was hot. And I'm really working on retraining my mind. I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about this again because I, got, I let it get away from me for a little while. And that's, that's okay. It's okay. The, the, that happens to the, to the best of them. There's people out there that are extremely motivated. And sometimes, sometimes the motivation, the wind gets sucked out of their sails sometimes. And all they need is another gust of wind. And they sit around and they wait for that wind and they wait for that wind and that gust of wind never comes. What you got to do is you got to start huffing and puffing and blowing in that sail yourself sometimes. And I realized this was happening to me. I was watching my life. I was watching my tour dates catch up with me and I was watching my lack of sleep and I was watching my shitty diet and my lack of exercise turn into, turn into something I, I didn't recognize anymore. And, and I was, you know, although I talk about being mentally uh, healthy and all these things, I wasn't, I wasn't doing it 100% because I was cheating myself because I was getting lazy. And I was, I was uh, losing focus and I was uh, quite honestly getting depressed. And then I don't know what's changed over the last few weeks. Something has changed inside of me and I'm, 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 I'm excited about it. And you know what I think it is? I think I had time to slow down and regroup, you know, and, and I talk about that in one of those episodes, regroup and refocus, dude. It is, it is important that you slow down, you slow time down for yourself and you think about what's really important. And you refocus and you regroup, you collect yourself and you breathe that breath of life into your sail when there's no wind blowing. So I have these next few weeks off and I'm going to Tallahassee next um, July 15th where I'm going to be teaching post-traumatic purpose to the entire Leon County Sheriff's Department and emergency responders in Tallahassee. And then two, three days after that, I'll be on Paris Island, Paris Island, South Carolina at the base theater on um, the Marine Corps Recruit Depot teaching uh, area first responders post-traumatic purpose for two days, July 18th and 19th. And then after that, I'm off until August. Then I'm in Peoria, Illinois. What am I getting at? I'm getting at this. That breath of fresh air, that life that I just breathed back into my sails. I was out in the field yesterday working and I was sweating. I was hot. It was almost right at a hundred degrees and I was on the couch watching TV and I, I was watching the time and I go, you know what it is the hottest part of the day right now. And you know what safety and security told me stay inside until the sun goes down. It's uncomfortable out there. It's nasty out there. Travis, it's hot. Stay in here where it's safe. Stay in here where it's cool. And when I heard my mind saying these things, I said, fuck that. And I was the old me all of a sudden. And I was like, you can't fucking stop me. I'm going back out there. 
And I went out there. I grabbed my fucking chainsaw. I jumped on my golf cart. I went out there and started cutting more trees. I dropped three more trees, got them limbed up, got them logged up, got the logs put in piles and everything. It took a while. And I was drenched in sweat. But you know what? What what did that accomplish? It accomplished this. It wasn't the trees. It was the defeat in your mind. It was the overcoming of comfort in your mind. Your mind will fuck you up. Your mind and your body will convince you to stop. And unless you consciously make an effort to combat that, you're always going to do the easy things. You're always going to do what's comfortable. And anytime you don't have the answer to something, anytime you look at something, it's like, well, that's too hard. You're never even going to give yourself a chance. And in 20, 30 years from now, when you look back on life, you're not going to have the things you want in life because you didn't ever take life by the fucking nutsack and twist it and say, fuck you. And you can laugh and sit here and say, oh, that's all bullshit and that's all hype. No, it's not. It's, it's truth. Let me tell you why. I lived my entire life this way. And then it got away from me at some point. And I started succumbing. And then I started looking at myself and I'm like, this is not me. I would tell my wife, I go, I don't know what's happened. But something has changed inside of me. I'm not motivated anymore. Well, you know whose you know who's responsibility it is to motivate ourselves? Us. The fucking universe is not going to come knocking on your door and be like, hey, it's Motivation Monday. There's no goddamn meme out there that's going to show up and, and put things in perspective for you to make, it, make you turn your life around. You got to do it yourself. And coming from a guy, that's my whole philosophy in life, is to create your own light. I wasn't doing that. I was allowing the batteries to, to die out and my light was starting to flicker and fade and dim. And I didn't have any more batteries in the house. And so I saw that as an excuse to just let my flashlight keep going until the light was gone. And then I realized, you know what? Fuck this. I need to go out and build a, build a solar panel since I'm out of batteries and be able to charge the batteries that are in this fucking light. These old ass dead batteries need some charging. And I'm going to figure out a way to do that. So that's what I did. And why do I say that? Why am I talking with such passion in my voice? Because the next part I'm about to tell you is a fuck you to my boy, Randy Tappan. I went to the gym this morning. I went to the gym this morning and I wasn't feeling well. I woke up, my body was hurting because I was logging yesterday in the heat. I got done yesterday. I didn't have the best dinner in the world because I came back in and there wasn't much food here. So I didn't have a whole lot of calories. I was calorie deficient. And I woke up this morning feeling calorie deficient. I ate some oatmeal. I was still calorie deficient. And I actually told myself, I was like, man, I think I'm going to take the day off from the gym today. And right then it started. My mind started fucking with me. And I, and I told myself right then, I go, you know what? No, I'm going to prove a point to myself. I go, not only now, I was going to go do cardio for 45 minutes. If you listen to the other episode I just dropped. I was going to go do the bare minimal cardio the other day for 30. And then I said, no, I'm going to do 45. Well, today I said, you know what? No, since I'm being such a pussy and since I'm sitting here thinking I can't do something, I'm going to go do an hour. And then after I do that hour, I'm going to kick myself in the ass for ever thinking that way in the first place. So that's what I did. I went in there. I went in there tired. I went in there hungry. And I got on that treadmill. And I waited and I climbed uphill. 30 minutes in, I had to pee. 
really badly. So I hopped off the treadmill, ran to the bathroom, pissed real quick, came back. That took me about a minute. Didn't wash my hands. Fuck y'all, I don't care. And now that I realized I was off of the treadmill for a minute, that's a minute that I didn't put effort in. So I punished myself. I said, well, now you got to make up two minutes. And so I kept going and I kept going. And then I got out to the 50-minute mark and I got to pee again so badly I couldn't hold it. I jumped off the treadmill. I went back to pee. Another minute. Didn't wash my hands again. Fuck y'all, I don't care. I had to punish myself for another two minutes. That's an extra four minutes of work I told myself to put in. So I get on that treadmill. Now an hour turns into an hour and four minutes. And so I'm pumping. I'm, I'm rolling uphill. I'm dropping sweat. I can't breathe. My shirt is soaking fucking wet. But it's motivating me. I remember being in there thinking. I was like, I could be out in that hot sun slinging that chainsaw. Same damn thing. Who cares? And I grinded. I got to an hour and four minutes. And then I thought, why just do the minimal? Why just do what I'm expecting myself to do? Put in another minute. And I put in another minute. And the reason I say fuck you to my boy Randy is this. I missed a call from Randy when I was in the gym, so I hit decline. Knowing I damn well shouldn't have. But me and Randy talked 500 times a day about absolutely nothing. So I knew he was calling me with some bullshit. And I was in the zone. So I call Randy back. He's like, what are you doing? I said, dude, I just got off the treadmill, man. I just crushed it for an hour and five minutes. I was proud of myself. I hadn't been working out lately. And I was able to go in there and fucking focus on something and accomplish a goal that I set out to do, whether how, no matter how big or small. When you, when you accomplish your goals, you're winning it. You know what Randy said to me next? I said, yeah, man, I just crushed it after an hour and five minutes. Randy goes, he immediately hated on me. He goes, yeah, what trophy did you win? <laughs> like an asshole, right? Trying to tell me, okay, big fucking deal, right? And I thought about it because I was going to laugh because I, I knew where he was coming from. He was coming from a joking place. So instead of me making a joke, I actually said something that made sense. I said, you want to know what trophy I won? I won the war in my mind trophy. That's what the fuck I won. And I said, fuck you for hating on me. And he started laughing. And then I started laughing. And then we started talking about shit that don't mean anything. Because that's what we do. Today's June 27th. And if you don't know what that date means. If you haven't noticed people in the community. In the PTSD community are posting. National PTSD Awareness Day. And when I see that. I don't recognize it. I, I recognize that they're 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 doing something, but mine isn't National PTSD Awareness Day. National PTSD Awareness Day for me is 365 motherfucking days a year. What? I'm all about this. I live my life this way now. Trying to make people aware. Trying to make people understand that. They can be better. They can be more resilient than ever with a PTSD diagnosis. I say this in my class all the time. I am absolutely grateful that I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress. If I could give all those shitty events back, I would, but I can't, and I know that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to harness every single one of those things that led me to where I am in my life right now, and I'm going to use it to fuel my fucking fire. 
Me being diagnosed at first, I was ashamed. I felt like I did something wrong and I disrespected the communities that I, that I worked so hardly to be so strong in. But what I realized was this, that diagnosis made me a better man. And without that, I would have never been able to stop and recognize what I was going through, why I was going through it and how I could grow from it. I would have just kept being the same old me and I would have ended up having absolutely nothing in life except a miserable fucking life. And I want y'all to think about that. PTSD is not the end. If you become diagnosed with this, it's an opportunity for you to grow outside of yourself and actually become something more than what you are. If you allow it to, but if you also allow it to beat you down, if you allow yourself to succumb to it and have a fucking pity party for yourself and start consuming drugs and start consuming alcohol and start verbally and physically abusing people around you, then that's what it's going to do. The beauty of this thing is you alone get to decide which way you take it. Once you realize that you are in the driver's seat, you're steering the wheel, baby. It ain't steering you. It steers you until you take control over it. And when you take control over it, you now own the road that you travel. To my girl, Alicia Monahan, you will never be forgotten. So many people are better because of your existence on this earth. Thank you for the time that you gave each and every one of us. We love you, girl. Peace.